Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, my name is Anas and I'll be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to Kiera Corporation's year-end conference call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you'd like to ask a question during this time, simply press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you'd like to withdraw your question, please press star, then the number two. Thank you. I would now like to turn the call over to Calvin Locke, Manager of Investor Relations. You may begin. Thank you and good morning. Joining me today will be Dean Setaguchi, President and CEO, Eileen Maricar, Senior Vice President and CFO, Jamie Urquhart, Senior Vice President and Chief Commercial Officer, and Jared Bastilny, Senior Vice President, Operations and Engineering. We will begin with some prepared remarks from Dean and Eileen, after which we will open the call to questions. I would like to remind listeners that some of the comments and answers that we will provide speak to future events. These forward-looking statements are given as of today's date and reflect events or outcomes that management currently expects. In addition, we will refer to some non-GAAP financial measures. For additional information on non-GAAP measures and forward-looking statements, refer to Kiera's public filings available on CDAR and on our website. With that, I'll turn the call over to Dean. Thanks, Kelvin. And good morning, everyone. I want to start by reflecting on the past year and recognize the success we achieved delivering several new financial and operational records. The 2021 results reinforce our strategy and they highlight the value we can create for customers and shareholders. Along with higher commodity prices and a more favorable industry outlook, our strong results were a direct result of our focused efforts in five key areas. First, we improved our safety performance and decreased our total recordable injury frequency while nearly doubling the number of hours worked compared to last year. Second, we demonstrated ESG leadership by setting meaningful emissions reduction targets and advanced our diversity and inclusion programs. Next, we maintained financial discipline through conservative leverage metrics and incorporated a revised and more rigorous capital investment framework. We increased our competitiveness by completing the optimization program of our South Gathering Processing Portfolio, which has led to lower per unit costs and higher per unit margins. We also improved reliability across the business, most notably at AEF, where we set a new annual production record. And lastly, we strengthen our integrated value chain by bringing on more underground cavern storage and building a direct propane supply connection to the Heartland Petrochemical Complex near Fort Saskatchewan. We also made meaningful progress on CAPS, which comes into service in the first quarter of 2023. While we advanced our strategic priorities, the business delivered strong financial results in 2021. In gathering processing, we delivered record annual realized margin and processed 1.5 BCF per day of gas 
in the fourth quarter, volume levels we haven't seen since early 2019. Contributing to these results were the Pipestone plants, which ran at above 90% capacity through the second half of the year, higher throughput at our Wapi gas plant, and continued positive momentum in the south region. The liquids infrastructure segment also delivered record margin for the quarter and the full year. Record volumes flowed through our industry-leading condensate system, and our underground storage business delivered its best-ever margin contribution. We also had strong performance from our fractionation business, which continued to operate near capacity. With highly contracted and consistent cash flows, these assets form the cornerstone of our NGL business. We'll see the strength of this segment further enhanced when the CAPS pipeline is complete. The marketing segment delivered $323 million of realized margin, which exceeded the top end of our guidance. Shifting to our priorities for 2022, we've identified several key priorities. They include a continued focus on safety performance, maintaining a strong financial position, successfully executing the CAPS project, materially in line with our sanction expectations. The project is currently over 40% complete and on schedule to start up in Q1 of 2023. Continuing to optimize returns on previously deployed capital by filling and debottlenecking capacity while continuing to improve reliability and effectively managing costs across our business. Now I'll turn it over to Eileen to provide an update on our fourth quarter and 2021 financial performance. Thanks, Dean. Adjusted EBITDA was $294 million for the quarter and $956 million for the full year of 2021 the highest annual adjusted EBITDA ever, as both the gathering and processing and liquids infrastructure segments delivered record margins in 2021. And marketing delivered contribution of $323 million for the full year, exceeding the top end of the guidance of $320 million. Net earnings were $90 million for the fourth quarter and $324 million for the full year 2021. Dividends declared and paid for the year were $1.92 per share, resulting in a dividend payout ratio of 63%, which remains well within the company's targeted range of 50 to 70% of distributable cash flow. Now moving on to capital spending. Growth capital spending was $438 million for 2021 which is below the previously provided annual guidance range of $460 million $490 million. The difference is mainly due to a timing difference of approximately $45 million in spending largely related to the CAPS project that was expected to occur in 2021, which will now occur in 2022. As a result, the capital guidance range for 2022 is being revised upwards to $570 million to $610 million. Our year-end 2021 return on invested capital was 14%. All other previously provided guidance for 2022 remains unchanged. We exited the year in a strong financial position. The company ended the year with net debt to adjusted EBITDA ratio of 2.4 times, 
which is stronger than the target range of two and a half to three times. We will continue to actively manage our leverage profile in 2022. As we continue to fund cap, we expect our net debt to adjusted EBITDA to temporarily go above our target range of between two and a half and three times. That said, we expect our debt leverage metric to return to the target range in 2023, as capital expenditures are reduced and caps and other areas of the business generate incremental EBITDA. We also continue to look at opportunities to recycle capital into higher return and more strategic opportunities. For example, last month, the company closed the sale of the Hull Terminal. Net proceeds to Kiera were $40 million U.S., which includes approximately $32 million for the asset and $8 million for the value of the inventory. Proceeds from the sale will be applied towards further strengthening the company's balance sheet. I'll now turn it back to Dean. Thanks, Eileen. To wrap up, we see several macro factors that support a positive, longer-term view of our basin and our business. These include Canada's abundant, low-cost supply of natural gas, combined with natural gas broadly gaining recognition as an important fuel for a lower-carbon future. Continued egress expansion to high-value markets, feeling strong demand and increased investment in the basin. And lastly, strong government support for petrochemical sector growth and for emissions reduction initiatives such as carbon capture and storage. All of these factors combine to create a multitude of opportunities for Kiera to leverage our existing footprint to generate strong returns for decades to come. We can play a key role in Canada's energy future. On behalf of Kiera's board of directors and our management team, I thank you for your continued support. With that, I'll turn it back to the operator for Q&A. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press star followed by one on your touchstone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request and your question will be pulled in order to received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star followed by two. If you are using a speaker phone, please lift the hands up before pressing any keys. One moment, please, for your first question. Your first question comes from Rob Hope with Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Uh, morning, everyone. First uh, question is on CAPS. So what are the natures of uh, the cost pressures that you're seeing there? And can you remind us uh, some of the puts and takes that you're seeing on cost? And, sorry, and then remind us uh, how much of the costs you have seen locked up so far. Morning, Robert. It's Jared here. Um, we are seeing some cost pressures um, on CAP, certainly, and I think, um, you know, despite that, we don't ex materially expect it to differ from our sanction estimate. I think one important thing to note is um, that we've talked about before is um, escalation in steel costs, and um, that's largely behind us. We expect all our pipe to be in hand by the end of this quarter, so that's a, a significant um, challenge that, that's no longer on the table for us. In terms of locked-in costs, we're on the order of about two-thirds that, that have been secured. I think it really speaks to the, um, the early contracting strategy we used with our, um, when we were initiating construction, and that's been beneficial for us. So, again, we, uh, we remain on track with, uh, uh, to come in um, not materially different than our sanction. All right, appreciate that. And then just moving over to the Pipestone and the Wapiti plant, uh, you know, we're seeing uh, Wapiti being held back 
by uh, its water handling, pipe stones operating at high uh, utilization rates. You know, how are the conversations moving along to potentially de-bottleneck or expand these plants? Yeah, Rob, maybe just as a starter, I'll do before I turn it over to Jamie. Um, that is a very uh, desirable area, and um, we certainly see a lot of activity already and, and um, you know, talk to a lot of producers, not just our existing customers, but other um, customers as well that have plans to grow in the area. So we think that's incredibly, um, you know, exciting for our facilities and, and especially where they're located. Um, so, yeah, we continue to have those discussions and, and uh, you know, we don't have anything firm to report at this point, but, you know, we, we certainly feel encouraged. Do you have anything you want to add? Yeah, Rob, um, it's a great question. Uh, the way that we the focus right now is on on the D bottleneck at, at Pipestone. Um, we we consciously put in a larger refrigerant unit than we thought um, necessary just to get after the liquids because that's a big part of our business and that that gives us an opportunity now to to, to pursue a, a D bottleneck at the facility. So. Um, we're in meaningful conversations right now with what that would look like contracting-wise. On the expansion, um, yeah, we have to be just really disciplined around how we contract for that expansion to ensure that, you know, if if drilling plans change in the in the future um, with our customers, that um, we we we're ensured that we're going to get the, the desired rate of return on that capital spend. Um, expansions can be very quickly um, filled up and then very quickly actually become very empty if you don't have the right contracts in place. And maybe just to add to that, at, at Pipestone, we are working at a small bottleneck project there that uh, is backed by a contract. Thank you. Your next question comes from Robert Kwan with RBC Capital. Please go ahead. Great, good morning. Um, if I can start by coming back to caps and i'm just wondering are, are you over the 800 million by the, a modest amount at this point or are you just signaling that you've maybe eaten through the contingency um and and you're just seeing the pressures out there yeah robert i'd say that um you know we, we are feeling that pressure but it, it's it's we still got a long way to go in the project you know as dean noted we're uh, we're 40% or a little over 40% through, so there's still a lot of work to go. Um, we're in the midst of our peak construction right season right now. This winter is key for us, so we'll know a lot more uh, next quarter. But again, at this point, we're, um, we don't see anything um, significant from, from that 800. And, and on that comment that two-thirds has been secured, is that two-thirds of what's left to spend, or is that two-thirds of the total, call it just the 800, but you've already spent 320 of it and if you can just comment in terms of the the one third that's exposed like what are the major buckets um you know within that one third such as construction yeah that, the, the two thirds robert was intended to represent the overall cost of the project um you know again in terms of the materials i think that's a piece that's largely behind us what's really left to go now is uh is labor and the construction effort a, a good portion of that's locked in but there's still a number of variables whether um, COVID factors like that that could influence productivity. Got it. Okay. If I can just finish with a question on um, the way you're approaching returns, um, you know, it seems like there's a little bit more focus here on ROIC. So ultimately, the question relates to how you're thinking about um, project deployment of capital going forward uh, with respect to your comfort with deploying capital 
um, with returns that maybe just are a little bit more on the come first uh, by a partially contracting similar to what you did with caps um, what's your comfort level with that or are we should we expect more of a, a take or pay fully contracted approach going forward yeah, I mean you know uh, Eileen's on us all the time so uh, <laughs> she cracks the whip yeah definitely uh, Robert you know, I think the amount of risk that we're prepared to take on a given project um, is, would be certainly less less going forward. So we're going to look for a much higher um, contracted return in order for us to uh, deploy capital in, in the future. Okay. And just how do you think about using ROIC, though? Because when you look at the definition, it benefits from shrinking the denominator in this quarter's has has a couple of different things in that and selling you know an underperforming asset in hull or the impairment at rimby you know all things being equal that improves roic yet it's not really improving profitability yeah you know I, i'll let uh, i comment about this as well but you know i guess what i can say is that we have different um investment hurdles internally um but you know i think for simplicity and something that people can calculate based on public information. We've um, we've used something a simple calculation, but we have we put a lot more rigor in terms of again the financial hurdles that we uh, you know that we uh, expect to achieve in, internally. Okay, great, thanks. Your next question comes from Matt Taylor with Tudor Pickering Holtz. Please go ahead. Great. Uh, thanks for taking my questions here. Um, I just wanted to go back to Wapiti, Dean, and, and can you start filling that phase two today, um, or, do you, or do you have the liquid handling bottlenecks? I just want to be clear on that point. Yeah, so Matt, thanks for the question. Um, yeah, we, we, we certainly have the ability to um, fill phase two um, um, today. We, we did some work back in December with one of our customers that w assisted in some of the water handling uh, bottlenecks that we had at the facility. So, um, you know, that, that obviously um, um, our customer and our us invested um, some capital to, to enable um, their growth aspirations. And, and uh, you know, we've obviously seen um, some of that materialize early in this year, but we've, we fully expect that we'll see further growth. Now, you know, there, there is limitations with respect to how much we're going to be able to um, grow without um, having to handle some, some additional bottlenecks at, at that facility. But, um, yeah, our, our expectation is you'll, we'll start to see some inlet volumes um, that, that uh, would be in excess of uh, the first phase, which is $150 million a day at, at Wapiti. Yeah, yeah, Matt, if I could just add to Jamie's comments, I mean, um, certainly we can use a portion of of the second train capacity, but but we would have to invest uh, more capital to use the full capacity of the second train. Um, you know, I think the things that we've been Jamie's team's been working on is, um, as he mentioned, you know, we're trying to also use um, third-party facilities in the area. We're trying to minimize the amount of capital that we have to deploy to to fill that white space. And so, as Jamie said, we've we've actually tied into a third-party water disposal facility, and uh, instead of us. Again, making that investment, let's use someone else's facilities and bring the gas to our facility. So that's one of the strategies. Uh, another thing that's also maybe going to help us in our favor a bit going forward is um, 
One of our customers, uh, where they're drilling now, is going to be in more of a gassier area and with, with lower liquids cuts, including water. So, um, again, that just helps us bring more of a pure stream of, uh, of natural gas to the plant. So, um, you know, not creating further bottlenecks in, in areas that uh, are already tight. So, those are some of the things that, you know, I think that we have kind of go in our favor that, you know, might help with that, more volunteer into that facility. That's great. Thanks for that. And then just in terms of using a more temporary solution in, in a third party versus getting to that full capacity on phase two of having to spend CapEx, is that something that's contemplated in your, your CapEx guidance today? Or do you, you need to, to you know, assess how much that, that may cost and, and your customers' needs and then and then update the market at, at some other point? Yeah, like, like you know, like we're saying, I mean, now we have um, more capacity that we can add to that facility without adding capital. So that is going to be step one. And uh, and as we get to the point where we think we need to de bottleneck, we think that that's some point in the future, like, you know, maybe second half of next year or maybe 2024. So, um, you know, we'll we'll address it at, at sort of that, that time. Our first priority right now is to you know, utilize the capacity that we have available. Great, thanks for that, Dean. And then I just wanted to move over to liquids, really strong print there. I wanted to get some sense. I know you've messaged previously, you know, a decent run rate is about 100 million a quarter, just in terms of us, us thinking through that business versus what you printed there in Q4. Can you give us some sense of how much of that performance was tied to higher storage revenues from, from a good pricing environment and higher interruptible condensate volumes above your take or pay levels? And try to get a sense of, of how much of that you could continue to see about in 2022 above that run rate, $100 million level? Maybe I'll start and then Jamie can certainly add in. There is still a little bit of seasonality. So typically in that Q4 to Q1 period, there tends to be a bit of a pop, mainly because of the propane, like Joseph Burke is, is certainly more active with all of the, the propane uh, that's moving out. So that's what we tend to see um, you know, in that Q4 to Q1 period. Yeah, so just the underlying uh, fundamentals, Matt, is is that, you know, you, you touched on them. You know, like, I mean, obviously, we're starting um, to experience some record volumes through our condensate system. Um, you know, frac capacity is tight um, in the province, regardless of the planes outage. You know, we um, we fully expect, as we have in the last couple of years, to, to have our uh, Port Saskatchewan assets fully implemented. Uh, storage continues to be, um, you know, valued by our customers in, in high demand. So, you know, re really, uh, it's all of the above. Um, you know, we've just our customers are, you know, commodity prices are, are very strong, and our customers are, are seeing the benefit of that, and, and as a result, so are we. Great. Thanks for that, Jamie. And one last one, if I may, on, on U.S. butane blending. You mentioned in the in the report there that, that margins are currently economic and that you might see some underutilization at, at Wild Horse, which might push out the returns uh, on that um, project there. My understanding is most of that is is contributions that would show up in marketing. So is, is that impacting the way you're thinking about uh, run rate guidance? Obviously, you know, more to come on that, whether or not you release run rate guidance. So I'm just trying to think in terms of you know, some of these facilities on the U.S. butane blending side, that might not be normal and, and how that might be impacting your thinking on, on marketing. 
Yeah, so as you point out, look, I mean, we'll, we'll be in a better position at Investor Day in six weeks to give, um, you know, guidance. We'll be through our contracting season in, in Western Canada, which really drives the primary contributions to the organization. But as it pertains to the U.S., um, yeah, certainly the fact that butane has softened substantially um, in, in the U.S. Um, is going to be a favorable um, contributor to, um, you know, the, the commercial value that a terminal like Wild Horse contributes. Um, you know, having said that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's still a challenge. Uh, that, that facility, um, you know, is, is going to be challenged to really um, provide, in my mind, a, a strong contribution consistent with what we would have assumed at sanction based on the huge backwardization of crude right now. It's like it's, um, it, it's, it's a challenge to, uh, uh, to um, make money, um, you know, uh, on, the, on the crude blending side. And you would see right now Cushing, the, the storage levels at Cushing are, are at a historic low just because of that fact. So, um, you know, we're, we're still confident in the asset um, going forward, but certainly, um, you know, it, 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 there's a challenge um, for the conventional blending um, operations uh, out of Cushing given the current conditions. Those conditions are very favorable for other parts of our business, but for this specific part of our business, um, you know, um, I would say better days ahead with respect to Wild Horse. Great. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for taking my questions. Your next question comes from Patrick Kenny with National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. Um, just on this asset sale program, could you provide any color on which other assets might be considered to be non-core? Um, curious if Wild Horse would be in that bucket, just given the cash flow challenges you mentioned relative to the, the potential price tag there and then I guess the credit accretion on that one. And also, if you can maybe comment on your Edmonton assets, um, you know, thinking ACT, baseline, just wondering how you're thinking about your crude oil terminals in general being core to the business um, or not at this point. Hey, uh, good morning, Pat. It's, it's Dean. Um, you know what? Uh, we're not in a position right now to sort of share uh, with, with a lot of detail, I guess, what, what we plan to dispose of. You know, I, I think generally what I can say is that we're trying to get more focused in our operations, though, and um, and really focused on the parts of our business that are, are just very um, highly integrated. And, um, and, and, and again, we're areas that we can continue to grow at and, and also transition. So that would be just sort of a general overview. We're trying to match that also with... Um, you know, again, just the, the ideal timing for uh, the crystallization of, of value of assets so that, again, we're, we're maximizing that value for our shareholders as well. Um, so we're just trying to marry some of those factors together. But um, overall, we do have a sort of ongoing um, disposition program. Pat, I might just yeah, add to that. that. Sorry, it's Eileen. Um, you know, I think you can think about it, the criteria that I think we use is like, you know, we think about how, how the asset contributing current and in the future, um, you know, how does it impact our leverage metrics? How does it fit within our overall emission reduction targets and goals? And then, you know, how does it fit with our goal of increasing stability of cash flow and that take or pay? So those are some of the things we'll think about as we think about divestment. Yeah, thanks, Eileen. And, and this may come out at Investor Day, but would you be looking to establish perhaps a target range um, 
with respect to total sale proceeds that you'd be looking to to bring in over say the next 12 to 18 months? Probably not something at this point that we can talk about, but maybe more at Investor Day. Great. Um, moving over to carbon sequestration. Uh, can you just confirm if, if you guys did participate in the industrial heartland um, RFP process? And if not, maybe what other sequestration opportunities across your portfolio might be, say, on the front burner through 2022? Yeah, I guess... We, you know, Pat, I guess we're, we won't comment on, I guess, maybe confidential um, kind of situations like that, what we participate in or not. But generally, I can say that we are interested in uh, CCUS. And, um, you know, we do have a, a strong asset position already in, in the, the industrial heartland that we think we can leverage um, also, also for CCUS as well. So, um, you know, we do have interest generally in that area, and um, and we think that we have other um, areas of interest uh, in, in, in our operations in the South GMP portfolio and, and also the North as well. Okay, great. Uh, last one from you guys, just on the contracting front for CAPS, this is probably another confidential one, but um, just directionally, can you provide a bit of, bit of an update as to, you know, how much of the initial capacity is spoken for? I believe you were at 70% this time last year, and maybe just uh, any comment on whether or not there's been any change to scope or the reach of the project, given you know some of the activity levels that you've been uh, witnessing over the past six months or so. Yeah, we haven't updated our initial guidance, um, Pat. So you know, I guess I'll, I'll let that stand. But um, generally, as we've been saying, is that. The discussions that we're having with our customers have been more and more engaging for sure. Um, I mean, you just look at their balance sheets, um, you know, they're starting to think a lot longer term now versus obviously a year ago. And, um, you know, we obviously follow the, you know, the Blueberry, um, you know, First Nations and, and also the, um, you know, the government of BC and what's happening there. Um, but when we talk to our customers, we get a sense that um, they're feeling a lot more confident in terms of, you know, some, some resolution happening here in the, in the visible future. So um, with that, I, I would just say in the both sides of the, of, uh, the border in, in terms of that Montney fairway, there's just more, more optimism. And, uh, and again, that's just leading to more, more engaging discussions with our customers and staff. All right, that's great. I'll leave it there. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from Andrew Korski with Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Thanks. Good morning. Uh, if we could maybe focus just on the interplay of your business activities and just some of the increased exports of butane and propane off the West Coast. You know, you, you don't necessarily have direct involvement all the time in that in that business, and you don't own the assets that that ship it, but. How do you think about the tension there of is that a threat or an opportunity and then maybe related, did you have any benefit or burden from just the flooding activity that happened in, in British Columbia during Q4? Hi, good morning, Andrew. Um, you know, first of all, we think it's great that there's um, higher value mark access to higher value markets for all of our, our products in, in uh, Western Canada. I mean, it's, it's something that we've lacked for forever. <laughs> and uh, it's never been about the amount of resource that we have in our basin. It's just, it's, it 
again, it's market access. So, you know, when we think about NGLs in particular, um, it's great that we have access to uh, to Asia um, off the west coast of Canada, and um, we we see volume continuing to increase in our basin. In in our asset base, uh, our strategy has always been to give our customers um, maximum flexibility, and and most of them like to be able to access uh, a basket or a portfolio of markets. Um, just so they're not captive to one place, and also logistically, you know, they don't want to be maybe just, um, you know, totally exposed to the logistics of getting, um, you know, their products by rail to the west coast either. So, um, you know, we can offer um, again access to the west coast, uh, to the U.S. markets. Uh, Mid continent has been very strong, but also local markets, uh, including, you know, obviously there's a PDH facility that's about to start up. Um, there's a local industrial uh, propane market, and we see a growing demand for um, for solvents, propane and butane solvents in uh, Western Canada. That, again, we think it's an opportunity that we can serve in the future as well. So, again, our strategy has been to offer our customers maximum flexibility to, to access all those markets, and we think it's good for 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 the basin. Okay, that's that, that's very helpful color and context. And then just just upon the flooding, did you have any detriment or benefit? In the quarter, Andrew, it's Jamie. No, no, we did not. Um, did not impact us. In fact, probably was a slight benefit based on where where our flexibility, as Dean said, with respect to the markets that we're able to hit. Okay, great. And just to follow up, and and you mentioned a little bit of this PDH that's coming up and running later on. Have you seen any behavioral difference just from willingness to contract or just? By way of doing business with you know the new owner of, of of those assets and Cochrane and everything that goes with it, you know versus the past and what you dealt with. Um, it's it's Jamie again. Uh, I, I wouldn't say we've noticed any um, noticeable noticeable difference. Certainly around the PDH facility, we we we've already, as Dean said, we've got an interconnection there, and and we're, we're helping our customers facilitate being able to access that market. Um, you know, on the other parts of the business, um, you know, certainly there's there's opportunity in our eyes to to uh, um, do business with Interpipeline, regardless of what, whether it was the previous management team or or the current management team, and and we continue to have dialogue with Interpipeline on what might hold value for both our organizations. Okay, thank uh, you very I, much. I oh, we have a sorry, we have a good relationship. Yeah, we have a good relationship with with Brookfield and uh, both their entities, you know, North River and uh, and now our pipeline. So, you know, we see them as a as a valued uh, you know partner. Okay. Thank you. Your next question comes from Linda Izergalis with TD Securities. Please go ahead. Thank you. Um, just wondering if you could maybe give some high-level thoughts around the guardrails of your of your financing plan the next couple of years, not just to fund caps, but also uh, refinancing some, some maturing um, debt uh, securities. In, in a potentially or very likely rising interest rate environment, how do you balance maybe like pre-financing, pre-funding, locking in long-term capital um, uh, financing versus uh, potentially retaining some flexibility depending on how your asset sales uh, work out. And um, I guess the, 
the, the two-pronged question to that is, and, and how are your discussions with the rating agencies kind of influencing how you think of those guardrails and what your options are? Yeah, thanks, Linda. Um, yeah, if we think about our, our guardrails, I mean, that two and a half to three times leverage is kind of what we use. Um, that keeps us very well in line with the rating agencies. Uh, so those, you know, we have good relationships with both DBRS as well as S&P and have had recent uh, reviews with both of them. Uh, as I think about, you know, 2022, certainly we do see that debt level going up toward the end of the year, especially, you know, with AEF coming, uh, having their six-week outage and then uh, the, the maintenance capital. But we do see that coming back down in line. So when I think about capital allocation and our priorities, you know, we would look to reduce our debt through 2023 to bring that back into, you know, the, those guardrails of that two and a half to three times. Uh, and then, and then it's looking at, you know, our other options between weighing it, you know, as we look into 24, 25, uh, growth capital versus returning capital to shareholders. Those are kind of how we're looking at it. In terms of interest rates, yeah, absolutely. You know, the good thing is we don't have anything material really coming due until 2024. So that's very, very positive for us. Um, you know, and I think about we were about you know a little over 250 million uh, drawn on our uh, line of credit at, at the end of the year. So certainly, I think you know we always look to um, term out debt, and so potentially it makes more sense to do that earlier in the year versus later when there are several interest rate uh, hikes expected. Thank you, and um, recognizing that. Um, capital markets can change and, and how you return capital to shareholders will change over time. Um, any thoughts evolving around the merits of discrete dividend increases potentially tied to new assets coming into service versus uh, maybe a smooth profile uh, over time? You know, again, I step back and I think our, at the end of the day, our goal is to, is, is to focus on increasing that distributable cash flow on a per share basis and we will weigh all of those options again growth capital dividend share buybacks um, so i'll leave it at that okay thank you uh i'll jump back in the queue your next question comes from ben fam with bmo please go ahead okay thanks good morning maybe i can start uh, go back to the non-core asset uh, conversation asset recycling maybe I can ask it in a way are there any assets in your portfolio that are highly core to you sacrosanct and that you would never sell at any price you mentioned integration is, is important for you but maybe I'll we'll take it from the perspective of, of core assets well I, I guess we'll say never say never um, because we're always trying to add value for our shareholders but you know, really, the I'd say the nucleus of our of our asset base is is uh, Saskatchewan. I mean, you know, that that's the product of um, you know probably 30 or 40 years of all the connectivity that's been built over that time period um, to get to where you know that that property is today. And obviously, we we have those same advantages now because we have great connectivity to the you know, to the Jonesburg undeveloped land that we acquired in 2017. So, um, you know, that would be sort of core to our business. But, you know, as Eileen said, I mean, we're also looking at areas where, you know, first of all, that we have uh, very strong competitive advantages 
but where we can bring more of that um, contracted cash flow uh, into our into our business, and uh, and also feed the whole integrated value chain because that's that's really the benefit of Care is that every time we touch a molecule and, and it moves through our integrated value chain, we generate a fee or we earn a margin at the end, and so we want to. We want to continue to build on that sort of concept and, and that part of our business. So, caps will be uh, tremendously important uh, once that's that's in place. And we we certainly think that our our um, Motney assets are are actually very um, you know very valuable as well. But again, you know we're also looking to try to continue to increase our our long term contracting on the on the GMP part of that business. And maybe I can follow up. I mean, would you? Would you ever consider, without, without naming a, a core asset, like would you consider selling down, say, 10% small slice, charging a, an operating fee to, you mentioned, around boosting returns, would you be open to something like that? Bill, you know, again, without without going into specifics, um, we're here to create value for our shareholders. So, you know, can we be creative and, and looking at different alternatives? Yeah, we'll, we'll look at everything, but it, it's got to be, again, a net, that value add for our shareholders, okay. not just for today, but long term. And maybe, maybe one more for me on going back to the the caps project. Has has your view on how the volumes and returns are ramping up when you first announced it changed at all? Just just seeing how 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 the trends have have been, and and do you do you think or do you uh, that there could be maybe repositioning on scope? Uh, in response to maybe some of the the petrochemical buildout that you you could be seeing, um, you know, we like I said before, I mean, I think we feel pretty good about um, about caps and and uh, the interest in caps with uh, based on the discussions that we're having, and again, the outlook that we have for the for the basin and the need for competition, uh, a competitive alternative for uh, NGL pipeline transportation out of the out of the mountain. Um we do believe that caps, uh, you know, could be could create other opportunities like, um, you know, potentially um, providing ethane ethane feedstocks as an example in the future. But again, the only way we would pursue that type of opportunity is if it were highly contracted to to secure our rate of return in advance. Yeah, and maybe just to clarify that that point, um, that, I mean the. The returns you're targeting is 10 to 15 percent, and you've you've maintained that even with the last capex increase. But you also, I think, when you first announced that uh, there was um, a phase return approach over three years or so, is that is that still uh, what you're expecting, or maybe you pull forward a, a better return in the front end? Yeah, it's still phased. It's still phased, and and again, um, you know, again, the target range, the simple range, is 10 to 15 percent return in capital. Okay. Again, and that's it. Like, like caps, you don't get your all your volumes on day one. It's there's certainly a wrap up to that profile. And that's just on the pipe. There's all the downstream benefits as well on top of that. Okay. All right. Thank you. Your next question comes from Robert Cadillier with CIBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Yeah. Good morning. Only a couple follow up questions left. Um, in the, in the CEO message, you, you mentioned implementing a new rigorous capital investment criteria. Can you please describe that and, you know, what what's really changed there? 
Yeah, you know what? If we're perfectly honest, you know, we probably um, we, we we probably invested in some areas that we wouldn't we would invest today. And uh, you know, today we certainly see um, a lot of. I don't know. There's a lot of background noise on the line, but um, maybe you mute, mute your line. Yeah. Um, sorry, uh, and uh, Robert, we. Um, First of all, we we want to be more focused in in terms of uh, the type of um, businesses that we invest in or assets that we invest in, and as I said before, we're looking for a much higher contracted port, port, uh, profile um, before we sanction a project. So again, we're we're not willing to take as much risk as we we did in the past. Um, we really want to focus on again assets that are really integrated and and probably more so focused on our Canadian business now. Um, again, with all the egress that is getting built, has been built and getting built, we certainly see um, more growth, um, you know, in our base, and, and uh, we're very well positioned here and have a lot of competitive advantages. So we want to um, continue to build on that, and obviously CAPS is a great example, but we see a lot of um, good downstream opportunities, like in, in uh, Port Saskatchewan, and uh, some of that is like fractionation and storage um, that Jamie referred to earlier. But uh, but beyond that, you know, we think we can continue to to uh, find great opportunities in that area with good counterparties. Okay, that's helpful. And then um, uh, there's also a comment about um, you know increased supply of octane blending components being important to us. So can you provide more color there? And uh, you know, do you think this is an ongoing impact? Um, so what do you expect from this development? So yeah, I, I missed the first part of what you, what you just said. Could you repeat that, please? I, I think, sure. I, I think the the MDNA had a comment about increased supply of octane blending components being imported into the U.S. So my interpretation was that's um, you know some product competition for for AEF. So can you describe what you're seeing there and whether there's a expected to be an ongoing impact? So Robert is Jamie. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't characterize it as it's uh, it's it's a competing product for our products because you know our, our product is a superior product from an RVP perspective and an octane perspective, but it's certainly weighed temporarily on um, the premium that octanes have in the North American market, and that frankly is just as a result of um, the world not um, you know uh, gasoline demand not responding and, and recovering as quickly on other parts of the world as it did in North America. And as a result, um, the refineries that were creating octanes as part of their process um, saw North America as a higher value market. And so that, that product was diverted to North America um, for that period of time. What we've seen in the last couple months, however, is that the, those octanes are now staying, frankly, where they belong, which is where they're produced. And as a result of that, we've seen a rebalancing in the North American market and premiums have come back to uh, historical levels, which is which is a positive outcome, obviously, for our ISO octane business. Because once again, that product is, is you know, we, we don't have any issues selling the product. It's just ultimately, um, you know, the price that we're going to garner as a result of, of what those octane premiums are. Yeah, thank you very much. That's a good caller. Thank you. There are no further questions at this time. Mr. Locke, you may proceed. Thank you all once again for joining us today. 
uh, please feel free to reach out to our investor relations team for any additional questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.